پیهنی پیهنی پی نگا هینی کارگیوی وزیرگی وگر نگشنا وجانیوی نا هیچان کیشنا هینی کارگیوی نا هنچنی پی رجاروی پیخچی وو نگشنا هم تی هرمیه هم جه وی هم پوی کبرا هیچان کیر جه وی تی چاما هینا خویدا جه هیچی کرک جاوی Good morning and greetings from the land of 11 nations, or as everyone else calls it, Wisconsin. I am doing fantastic, and I sincerely hope that everyone else is as well. Well, with so much going on in the world today, and there really is so much going on in the world today, I was thinking that, Koreske, we could spend a couple of minutes together and just shut out all the noise from the outside world. And just focus on our little piece of it. Just talk and explore things that affect us directly, affect our families, our clans, and our nation. Work on building an online community of sorts. First off, I just want to say thank you to each and every one of you who spends some of your valuable time listening to this podcast. Time being the second most precious gift that our Creator has bestowed upon us. It is of the utmost importance that I value your commitment and provide the highest quality entertainment that I can produce. One of the funniest things that I enjoy is listening and reading the commentary that you, the listening audience, provide. The give and take, criticisms offered and shared, all these ideas, they're all great. I got a phone call midweek and was shocked at my ignorance of nation, national indigenous policies. Now, in my defense, I could give a crap about other nations. I have enough on my plate just worrying about the Ho-Chunk Nation. But the caller constantly brought it back to how it related to the Ho-Chunk Nation. Interesting and enlightening. The problem being, a lot of the people I talk to don't want to come on the show. Now, I try to make this a safe forum for people to come on and discuss ideas. But it shocks me to this day the fear and reticence some still have. One of the biggest fears is retribution by our own legislature. How weird is that? You say that's not real? How many people who work for the nation or how many sitting members of our legislature have ever appeared on this program? Why? If the show stinks and you're embarrassed to appear, I get that. But if you don't want to appear because of retaliation, that's a different matter. In the end, though, I still appreciate those of you who share your thoughts and ideas with the podcast. Thank you. You're the ones who make this show special. If you'd like to get in contact with me, ring me up if you have my number. I'm in my office 24-7, and I will definitely answer the phone. However, in the unlikely event that I don't answer, leave a message, text, or simply wait a tad bit, and I'll definitely get in contact with you. Now, if you're shy or can't talk during working hours, email me. My email address is moneycucksick at gmail.com. That's M-A-N-I-K-A-K-S-I-K at gmail.com. And I will definitely get back to you. I'm batting a thousand when it comes to returning emails. Now, we're very active on the Chipotle Facebook page. We post thoughts and we share posts that we feel have some value to the Ho-Chunk Nation. We also uh, are on X, LinkedIn, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. 
So, you want to get in uh, contact with the uh, podcast? Just ring me up on one of those. I'll get back to you. Like I said, I was talking to someone recently, and they mentioned that the United States has like 574 federally recognized indigenous nations. Offhand, I think there are like 60 state-only recognized indigenous nations. He said a little secret is that large numbers of these tribes have less than 300 members. He said, I think the number he quoted was 70%, but like I said, I had to stand up and scream bullpucky. He continued, yeah. He goes, what happens when all the members of that nation are no longer around? I said, they'll simply change the requirements for membership in the nation. It'll be watered down, but they'll still be an indigenous nation. Or the federal government no longer recognizes them as an indigenous nation. Come on, I said. What politician would be stupid enough to do that? There's at least 5,000 employees at the BIA with a federal budget of about $3 billion. No bureaucrats giving up that cheese. The government's not terminating any indigenous nations. I think there are only 4,400 employees and the BIA budget is around $2.4 billion. But I see your point, he answered. Now just think about this. The indigenous census of 2010 was 5.2 million. And in 2020, it jumped to 9.7. Indigenous people now make up 2.9% of the U.S. population. That's great. The number could and probably will grow in the future with more indigenous people being counted on reservations that have been routinely missed in the past and people of mixed descent checking off the boxes saying they are indigenous even if they're not recognized by any indigenous nation of the United States and the unchecked migration of an open border. A lot of these people coming across the border in recent years check the boxes that say that they are Native American and Hispanic. The Office of Management and Budget, that's the agency that dictates the standards for collecting data on race and ethnicity, ethnicity in the United States, defines American Indian or Alaska Native as a person having origins in any of the original peoples of North and South America. This includes Central America. And who maintains tribal affiliation or community attachment. Okay. A lot of indigenous people from across the border are being counted in the census. Yeah, that's great for us, I said. More bodies, more money. Yes and no, he answered. <coughs> the indigenous people numbers on the census will increase and and the number of U.S. indigenous nations changing their rules about membership will increase these numbers. Agreed. But we're not talking about numbers alone. We're talking about culture, language, and land. We're talking about our identity. I thought we were talking about census numbers and then those numbers equating into more money for indigenous peoples, I retorted. Okay, we are, but we aren't. The census has undercounted indigenous peoples forever. And because of that, indigenous people have been shortchanged on federal aid. Things like healthcare, housing, and education. But if you step back you have to see that the money is not the only thing we are fighting. Okay, I'll bite, I said. What are the other battles we're fighting? 
were fighting federal termination. What? I asked, federal termination? Look, you touched on one point when you discussed the Holland Brackeen Supreme Court decision. The people bringing up that case weren't so much interested in ICWA law as they were in chipping away indigenous federal rights. I heard numerous cases where the plaintiffs are financed by people looking at indigenous lands and see these cases as an opportunity to bring indigenous people into the framework of, hey, we're all Americans, there's no distinctions. Well, if we're all Americans, and this includes indigenous Americans, where we are not a distinct political entity, that all of our land should revert back to the state and federal governments. What? Look, you said it yourself. Do the math. Blood quantum takes us only so far, and then we're no more. Ancestry and our lineage takes us a little bit further, but soon all the nations will be washed out. Some quicker than others, and we're basically just wards of the federal government. We make our own rules, and we're quote-unquote sovereign. But ultimately, our lands are administered by the federal government, and under the might-makes-right doctrine, we're in a tough spot. So, I answered slowly. One of the things we forget sometimes was that we knew this way back when. All the tribes did. That is why there were marriages between tribes, between clans. Sometimes captured people were adopted into the victorious tribes. We didn't live in huge cities with millions of people for the most part. We lived in small bands so as not to tax our environments or larger groups as in the Northeast and Southeast, they learned how to cultivate the land that would maintain a larger population. But we all held one thing in common, our culture, our language, our identity. We all knew who we were. It didn't matter if my daughter-in-law was from a different nation. I had accepted her into my house as my daughter-in-law, and now she was Ho-Chung. End of story. Lots of holes in that, I began. No, no, there aren't, he answered. It's not just blood quantum, and it's not just lineage. It's language and culture. All indigenous nations are going to come up against this sooner or later. Navajo, Cherokee, and Anishinaabe, Choctaw, and others won't face this for a while. But a lot of nations are up against this now. What do they do? Yeah, it's about money for a lot of the nations. Just for a second, just for a second, put money aside. What do they do to exist and perpetuate their, per, perpetuate their existence? For my nation and yours, the answer is simple. It's culture and language. Now, we talked about some other things for a while, but we both left the conversation for another day. But what he said struck a chord with me. Now, personally, I see four things to maintain and revitalize our culture. Kinship, language, culture, and land. Now, our color, that'll be lost over time, and we may save the hue of our skin by marrying other indigenous members or Hispanics or African Americans, but the majority of us will marry into the larger society. Nothing wrong with that. It's inevitable. But what is wrong is not the color of our skin, but the fact that we will lose our culture. We have to look past what our grandchildren will look like and we have to start teaching them what it is to be Ho-Chunk. This, 
this is the battle we have to start fighting now. Now, two of the simplest things to teach us teach is kinship and language. We all have to know who our family members are, both close and extended. This falls on us immediately. I haven't got quite a got a grasp on how to do this, but for me, for me, it's simple. Get off my butt and start visiting family and start talking, asking questions. Now for me, that's a start. Once I learn, this will ensure that I know more of my family and I can tell my daughters and grandchildren. I can even tell my son-in-laws. Maybe this won't be accepted by anyone else, but I feel it's a beginning, at least for me. The second thing is language. The most effective methods to revitalize the Ho-Chunk languages are those that are community-led and culturally responsive. Duh. They should be also be holistic, addressing the root causes of language loss and creating opportunities for people to learn, use, and transmit the language in everyday life. These are no-brainers. Now, between the Ho-Chunk Renaissance and the Ho-Chunk Academy, I see us as making huge strides, but it takes hard work by all of us, and not just those of us who are enrolled, but our grandchildren and those spouses who are not enrolled Ho-Chunks. You married in for love, children, or money, but you still are married into the nation, and you are part of this nation. It's not just taking classes organized by the Nebraska or Wisconsin Ho-Chunks either. We have to do this on our own. I keep saying to the young people and to the people who understand how to use social media, how to use audio and visual equipment, start producing content and share this with everyone. Start producing content that has to do with the whole chunk language, that has to do with kinship, that has to do with basically anything with, you know, talk about our land, talk about our culture, whatever you want to do. But start producing content. We're all, yeah, we'll all laugh and we'll all learn. But it's a start. And these are baby, baby, baby steps. But they have to be taken. Now, culture is a different matter entirely. Culture is something that has to be taught by family members and shared by our elders. And I'll be honest, this is where I'm hurting for ideas, except by visiting and maintaining close contact with extended family. Now, I understand this is a choice, but reading reading it from a book or is it's just not the same thing as listening to our elders or parents tell us oral history or even family history. This is one of the things that binds us as a family, as a people, is when our elders and our fathers and mothers and they sit by us and they tell us these stories of who our relatives are and where we came from and who our, who our clan leaders are and what our clans are for. Finally, land. Now this is simple enough. The difference between the difference being that the land held by the federal government for us is at the end the federal government's. But the land that is bought and maintained by us is ours as long as we're paying taxes on it. That's our land. Not the federal government's. It's a distinction, but it's something we have to look at. As far as I know, as long as there are Ho-Chunks, the land that the federal government has, that land is ours. As long as we, as long as there are Ho-Chunks, we're always going to have land. 
But like I said, we're just renters. The federal government can take that land anytime they want. Now, what got me thinking about all this was that phone call. Our future as a people is tenuous. We've relied on our blood quantum for a while now. And I think that's long enough. Our leadership has to begin serious work on our survival as a political entity. We've been here before. We've, we've been here before dirt had a name. But the political landscape presently is shifting underneath our feet. Maybe we don't see it. You know, I, but it's there. We have serious work to do to maintain our kinship, our language, our culture, and our land. And sure, we'll fight over the money because we're human beings after all. No shame in that. Insecurity is bred into all of us. But if our leadership doesn't view the immediate and long-term future of our nation as an impending existential crisis, then it falls on all of us as individuals to do all that is within our power and share all our knowledge with those in our families. Like I said, not just enrolled Ho-Chunks, but the ones who are married in and also our grandchildren. You may not be an enrolled member of the Ho-Chunk Nation, but you know, centuries ago, like I was saying, you would have been, and none of us would have looked twice at you because your future was tied into ours and we had adopted you or married into the tribe. You were Ho-Chunk. Now, there are extremely, there are an extremely large number of Ho-Chunks who know their language and who know their families, who know their family and clan stories. Now, I'm very proud and I'm very jealous of you for that. But I would also venture that there are an extremely large number of Ho-Chunks who have only a cursory knowledge of their families and language. And I would be a charter member of that association. Then there are Ho-Chunks who only know they are Ho-Chunks by that check that gets deposited in their bank accounts every month. Now sit down and take a good long look at our Ho-Chunk Nation and tell me what you see and how we fix it. Or even if it needs fixing. Heck, everything could be hunky-dory in a Ho-Chunk Nation and I'm spectacularly wrong about everything. Now, we've got to realize that these are strictly my views, and I could be bad poop crazy. Now, indigenous tribes could start vanishing soon. Indigenous tribes could begin to be terminated just as quickly as they are being recognized. All of that rests with the federal government. Changing our blood quantum would kick the can down the road, but is that enough to maintain who we are? Is blood quantum or lineage enough for us to continue to be who we really are? Ho chunk was he ja ha Tonight I have District 3 legislative candidate Jamie Decor with me. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How are you? Very, very well. Thank you for asking. Well, thanks for uh, joining us here tonight, and um, I really don't want to waste any more of your time, so I'd just kind of like to jump in and begin by asking you to uh, share with the listening audience um, a little bit about who you are, who your family is, touch a little bit on your academic background and your work history. Um, just uh, you know, share what you're really comfortable with. 
I am 37 years old. I am a mother of five. Um, I grew up actually not knowing who my family was. My mother grew up in foster care in Alma Center, a small town outside of Black River Falls. Um, so my mom found her family when I was quite little. It was very distant, um, but I do come from the Decorah Bear Chief family. Um, we moved up to Wittenberg when I was about 16 years old. So I've lived in the community for about 21 years now and um, have just really gotten to know not only my family, but my relatives and our culture. Wow, that's uh, that's quite a story. Um, you're fresh off the candidates forum in Madison um, a couple days ago. Uh, how do you think you did? I think I could always have done better, but I think I'm hoping I got my point across and people were able to see how passionate I am, not only about running for this seat, but just about our nation in general. Well, that kind of leads me to the next question. Why do you want to be a legislator? To try something new, um, to serve our people in a different capacity. I have worked in various different entities throughout our tribe, and I think that this would be a new challenge to serve our people, not just that short little bit of time that we do Monday through Friday, 8 to 4.30, but at my full capacity and odd hours, odd times, and showing people that no matter how young we are, that we can still get things done. That's good. Um, what are the things that you see in District 3 that you feel that needs to be fixed and that you're kind of equipped to do that? I would never say that anything needs to be fixed. Modified, always. Um, we are a wide district, so we aren't really a community. Um, we're kind of, there are five separate areas, and I think that that needs to just be brought together more. Sitting in the area of meetings as a candidate and being able to speak at the end of them, I don't, I never realized how different our legislators' reports change from area to area. You think that they would be so similar, and I honestly, I understand we have our different problems or different motions that we make at area meetings, but you think that the information that they give us back from the month prior would be somewhat uniform, that we would know what's going on in Madison and Milwaukee if we're sitting in Wittenberg and so our other areas that make us District 3, I think that we should all be informed of all those problems throughout the district. How would you think you would go about... Um, I like your word modify that um, what do you call it uh, your ability to talk with other people the ability to share that information with other areas um, so that um, reports are uniform how would you go about that well I mean it's just a simple modifying of your report and letting every area know hey Madison has this problem going on they made this motion last month at the area meeting do you guys see anything in Wittenberg that is similar or needs the same type of motion. I mean, because we are all District 3 and every motion, everything that goes up in a legislator meeting affects all of us, not just Madison area and Milwaukee area. So I think that that just needs to be done is just modifying the report and making it uniform throughout. That's something that's really simple. I like that. Um, what are some of the things that as a legislature you'd like to accomplish 
with uh, within District Three itself. I don't have goals to accomplish. I wouldn't want to say that I'm going to go out and do this. Um, I don't want to make it generalized either and say that I'm going to go out and just serve our people because that is so big and so wide range. But I guess I want to go out and I want to learn. Um, I've never been a legislator before, obviously, so I don't know what that all entails. But learning our laws, learning our bylaws, our policies, what it means to be a legislator to serve our people 100% of the time because I have heard from every area that family time is going to be restricted and answering your phone, answering emails, answering questions is a big part of being that legislator that I guess what I want to accomplish is what that means to be a legislator in the people's eyes because I've heard from every area, I believe in District 3, that the legislators that we have right now aren't doing it to what they deem as their full capacity or what they're asking of us. Do you see um, being a legislator as a full-time job or is it a part-time job? Before I ran, I had always thought of it actually as a part-time job um, and wondering what do they do that all entails, you know, their 40 hours a week besides, you know, going to meetings here and there, networking. Um, now that I've sat in these area meetings, I've met with various different people throughout our district. I see how it can be a full-time job and it is a full-time job because I have been told numerous times if I'm elected, I'm here to serve the people before I serve my own household. That I answer these phone calls. I answer these messages. I find a way to get these answers and, there is no more home life and work life, and it's kind of all work life. <laughs> That's unfortunate, but I yeah I understand the responsibility. But um, what do you see this, as the strengths of District Three, and how do you think you can go about exploiting those uh, strengths? The voice. I would have to say that over and over and over again is the voice. Um, Every area has their one person, I would say, or one family, one group that is a loud and passionate, boisterous for their community. The passion is out there. And I don't think that everybody realizes that we're all still District 3. It's not just Madison, Milwaukee, Nakusa, Green Bay, and Wittenberg. We're all here and still in District 3, and we do all have those separate areas that we have those one people that are very passionate and to exploit that to its fullest would be amazing um, to do the things that everyone does. Wittenberg has their own little area projects and beautifying the area, turning that farmland into trees and homes and houses and Green Bay is trying to, you know, get Red Banks going and trying to make it a community because they've got Oneida and everything there. Um, the passion is there that if you could exploit that music it to its fullest, we could be so much better as a District 3 and cohesive and not, I guess, not act like we're these separate areas within this one district. Well, continuing on that theme, District 3 is geographically a huge area. Um, you're kind of responsible personally and uh, 
legislatively for, you know, I guess a lot of people. And it's almost impossible to be up to speed on all the concerns within the nation. Um, what are some of the issues and areas that you would like to focus on once, if and when you get elected? I guess the biggest issue that I would want to focus on is one that I've heard over and over again sitting at the area meetings and talking to people is being present, um, letting community members know that we're there. And like you said, some people do believe that this is a part-time job. And for it to be a full-time job, how hard is it that, you know, the furthest area distance is three hours drive between each other. Um, how hard is that to make to make that drive? It's not. We've driven further before just for, I mean, little things. I've driven way further just to go out to eat. Um, you could hear you could honestly turn that into being part of that full-time job of stopping this working from home. I mean, in a 12-hour in a 12-hour workday, I could drive to Milwaukee, be present, work at their branch office, answer my phone, answer emails, sit in meetings and still be there for the people and then still drive the 3 hours home and let people know that we're present and we're there versus this once a month at an area meeting. I could do the same thing two days later in Madison and the same thing two days later in Nakusa. And it's not that hard to, if you have people literally screaming at you that they want you present and they want you there, it's not that hard to be there. It's you have to make that commitment. That's very, very true. What is the financial shape of the whole chunk nation? And how much responsibility falls on the legislature to shape the financial viability of the uh, nation? Speaking as a tribal member, I don't have a lot of view on how we are doing financially. Um, I know what my finances look like as an interim TAU office manager. I know what my finances look like as a CHR supervisor for public health. But as a whole... No, I don't know. I mean, we just got our annual report at General Council. Now, I will be honest, I haven't read through that. But to know what we are as a nation, I don't know where we sit currently right now. It's not a problem. Um, I like your honesty on that. Um, what are your views on the Beloit Casino Project? I will be honest about that one. I think the resources and the time that has been spent on there can be spent so much better on the other casinos that we already have. I mean, we're coming off of COVID. Honestly, we're going right back into it. So it's not like we're ever really taking a break from it. It's here to stay. Um, but we're getting our businesses back open and running and trying to get them fully staffed. And then we're turning around and trying to open up something else when we're competing with so many casinos out there that are paying better wages than our casinos are paying and we're not keeping our own casinos fully staffed yet we're trying to open up another one to me that doesn't make sense that we should be worried about what we have i mean speaking of wittenberg just alone the c store is finally back up to open normal hours having trouble keeping people staffed because of the wages that we pay for months we were open from 8 30 in the morning until six o'clock at night missing that 5 a.m. to midnight hours and missing that revenue that was coming off from people at the casino, coming in for gas after gambling or cigarettes when they run out. I mean, we should be focused on that before we're trying to open up this entirely 
new casino and spending how many millions of dollars to do so and man hours to do so when we're already struggling with our own businesses. Continuing on that vein, um, what are your views on the viability of Southland? Exactly the same as my views on Beloit's, to be honest. Um, it's It just doesn't make sense to me. That's not a problem. Okay, I, I, I like that. Um, what are your views on 12 clans? Is it a vehicle to enhance the Ho-Chunk Nation's economic opportunities? Or should the nation simply shut it down and continue to keep all the business decisions within the legislature? As a tribal member, I know what 12 clans is. But I could not honestly tell you before you gave me that question what they do. We don't see about it. We don't. Well, we don't see it. We don't hear about it. As a tribal member, you know. I mean, if you're an employee, you get the little TOB notice that there's meetings or whatever. They post it on Facebook. But to honestly not know what they did as a tribal member, and it's been around for nine years, ten years now. I think it was a resolution in 2013 and enacted in 2014. Honestly, as a tribal member, I think that's why we have so many complaints about transparency because before before doing my research, I couldn't actually tell you what 12 clans did or how they helped our tribe. Well, that's unfortunate for 12 clans. Um, I mean, in terms of them getting their message out, but... Water under the bridge. Uh, has the Ho-Chunk Nation done enough work on addressing comp and class for casino, hotel, sea store, and Ho-Chunk Nation tribal employees? And is this something that the legislature should be involved in, or is this a um, executive? Uh, is this an executive realm? Um, we approve the budgets for legislator. If I were to be elected, let's reword that. Um, legislators approve the budgets for all of our businesses casinos, hotels, and C-stores. So I guess it would be more so the managers doing their job and um, actually looking up the raises, paying paying close to what outside businesses pay. It could be an executive thing as well, but honestly, I think it comes down to our individual managers doing their job and doing the research, they do our budgets every October. We are currently in budget season for the next fiscal year, according to the way that we do things every year. If we're looking to compete with these outside entities, McDonald's and Wittenberg is paying $15 an hour. I mean, you could flip burgers and have less drama than working for the tribe just <laughs> two miles down the road. Do you know what I mean? Um, it's, it doesn't make sense that it's not something that we're constantly looking into and constantly trying to change and evolve. I mean, we work for anywhere else outside of the nation and you get raises based on your performance, based on your need at any time. People get raises after 90 days, after six months. You have to work an entire year for the tribe to get a raise and at most you're getting 4%. That doesn't make people want to stay with us. That doesn't prove 
that we care about them or their time or their hours spent with us, their work ethic, if we're only guaranteeing a 4% raise at most, if they meet all of these qualifications, and yet we're still paying less than everyone else around us. Before um, you decided to run for office, um, what were some of the projects that you were involved with um, as you were helping some of the Ho-Chunk Nation, some of the members? Um, so before I decided to run, I am still currently doing a lot of different projects. So I do a biannual drug take-back event for the Wittenberg area. I work with the Shawnee County Drug Task Force and made Siga Funmaker Community Center one of the sites in October and in May that there are no questions asked. We try to get prescriptions, old medications, unused medications out of homes, out of hands of people. And we have offices there and you just drop it off and you walk away. Um, it's a really good thing, especially for a small community and what we deal with right now with drugs and addiction and alcoholism. Um, I got an event coming up just next week for free clothing giveaway. I go around to everyone I know in the entire state of Wisconsin, but I know that it's gently used brand new clothes to give away and bring them back to Wittenberg, launder them, put them out and give them away for free to everyone that needs them. I try to make sure that our people know no matter what my job is or what I'm currently doing for the tribe or outside of the tribe that I'm still here to help our community, even if it's in small doses. Um, was that something you think you could expand the uh, drug take back to uh, other communities? I have wanted to. Um, I have thought about working on it. I know not every county participates, so it would be really hard. It wouldn't be really hard. It would just be a lot of work. Um, to get the different areas involved. It's a project that I've done for public health. I think this is going to be our third drug take back. So a year now that we've been doing October, May, and then October again. Um, I would love to see that in Nakusa and Black River, the other areas where I have other CHRs, and we would be able to do this for all of our communities. Because okay. we do service 16 counties within the state of Wisconsin. Well, let me uh, kind of throw this at you now. Um, if you were conducting this interview, what question would you have asked that I failed to ask you that you feel is important? None. Wow. No. I'm betting a thousand here. <laughs> Finally. At the event, at the end of every interview, I kind of like to give um, the person I'm talking to an option or a, the ability to say whatever they want to say, um, whatever you'd like to promote, share, whatever you'd like to sell. Um, give you the floor, and you can speak as long as you want. Um, the floor is yours. What do you got to say? I'm going to leave it short and sweet, and it uh, kind of similar to Madison. I hope everybody that listens enjoyed it, understands where I'm coming from, can hear my passion for wanting to run for this seat, run for this office. I know a lot of people out there before even seeing or hearing my name know who they're running for. 
your mind's made up. I can say whatever I want to say and you're going to run for a family, a friend, whoever. But I'm hoping that there are those select few out there that hear me and know what I'm about. And just even one answer would change your mind and want to vote for someone like me that's a little bit more passionate. And that's all. Very good. Um, how can we get a hold of you if somebody wants to um, either email you or text you or something? How do we do that? So my personal email address is F-A-Y-E-A-N-D-E-L-L-E at yahoo.com. That's L at yahoo.com. Um, you can also reach me by cell phone at 715-350-1221. Very good. Well, uh, thank you for your time. Once again, that's uh, Jamie DeCora, legislative candidate for uh, District 3, Seat 3. And uh, don't, forget vote, don't forget to vote this October on October 5th. Um, have a good night and thank you very much for your time. Nakiriwira Hai Pint. So I thought I would uh, kind of give us a update on Resolution 0916-2023-G. Uh, I guess we're kind of going to go through the whereas's real quick. But um, whereas the Ho-Chunk Nation General Council hereby sets this policy and authorizes the tribal enrollment and membership code, be amended to reflect a statute that clearly defines a modification to the blood degree of each and every person of Ho-Chunk Indian blood who was duly enrolled in the Ho-Chunk Nation by December 31st, 1999, will now be considered a full blood or four-fourth blood degree to be enacted by the uh, legislative branch of the Ho-Chunk Nation within 45 days. After a majority vote of the qualified voters of the Ho-Chunk Nation General Council at the 2023 Annual General Council meeting, and the uh, executive branch shall enforce this policy within 60 days of the majority vote of the qualified voters of the Ho-Chunk Nation General Council. Now, therefore, be it further resolved that the Ho-Chunk Nation General Council retains the power to set policy for the nation and hereby authorizes the Ho-Chunk Nation Office of the President through the president to propose a resolution on behalf of the Ho-Chunk Nation General Council to the Ho-Chunk Nation Legislature to amend the Tribal Enrollment and Membership Code to reflect a statute that clearly defines a modification stating that the blood degree of each and every person of Ho-Chunk Nation Indian blood who was duly enrolled in the Ho-Chunk Nation on December 31st, 1999 will now be considered a full blood or four-fourth blood degree. Uh, let's see, further resolve that if any uh, term or provision of this resolution is determined by a court or competent jurisdiction to be invalid or unenforceable, such term or provision will be stricken and of no further force and effect and the remainder of the resolution will continue in full force and effect. Finally, further resolved, be it further resolved that the General Counsel through the Ho-Chunk Nation Office of General Counsel and or Lori and Pettibone will have the authority to file suit on behalf of the General Counsel for all matters of non-enforcement of the Ho-Chunk Nation Judicial Branch to ensure that this resolution is strictly implemented in accordance to the request defined within this General Counsel Resolution 0916-2023, 
pursuant to the Ho-Chunk Nation Constitution. Um, right, so we voted on it, General Council. Uh, there were 1,698 members. Um, on this particular question, 783 members voted yes, 572 members were opposed, and 79 abstained. As I understand right now, this resolution is waiting for the Ho-Chunk Nation's Attorney General to look the document over and then write his opinion. Uh, then according to the resolution, the president will bring the resolution to the legislature. I'm not sure, but I was under the uh, assumption that the president has the authority at this stage to either thumbs down or thumbs up this resolution. Um, I've never heard that before, but uh, here we are. Uh, we've given the, the president the authority to bring this resolution to the legislature. Um, and I am not sure what happens next, but I think the ledger votes on the matter, up or down. So right now with the resolution 916-2023, G is sitting in the uh, AG's desk. So I guess uh, we'll find out soon enough what's going to happen. Uh, Hanach, Pinarajiwina. Jige hani chawigi. Hira kikara. Un wianjay. 